Welcome to the Steady On Podcast, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. I'm Angie Bauman, and this is episode 132. And with me today are writers, speakers, Proverbs 31 teammates, and Bible teaching collaborators, Amy Carroll and Lynn Cowell, who joined me to talk about their study on the book of Esther. You may know that God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but the heart and presence of God is written on the pages nonetheless. Talking to Amy and Lynn reminded me of how true that is in my own life. Sometimes I miss God's presence, especially in my confusing circumstances, and often I miss Him because I'm looking for Him to show up in one way, my way, when actually He is showing up powerfully in a way I never imagined. Which is why I chose this verse Lynn mentioned as our theme for today. Galatians 3.3 in the NIV says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Amy and Lynn are open about their three-year deep dive into the life of Esther, how studying her story closely impacted their personal relationships with Jesus, and how above all they hope to communicate that this story isn't a fairy tale. It's an illustration of a question we must all wrestle with as believers, and that is, do we trust God when what he's calling us to do isn't at all what we thought his plan for us would be? You are going to love Lynn and Amy. A big part of the interview is Amy's listen, feel, do, speak process of learning. So pay attention for that. I think it will open your heart as wide as it did mine. Let's listen in. Hello, Steady On community, and welcome into this podcast episode. I'm Angie Bauman, and with me today are two guests. I have two ladies, both who like to talk and write and speak, and all. So <laughs> we'll see, right? We won't we'll be edit short on words today. We yeah. will not be short on words today. Amy Carroll and Lynn Cowell, ladies, thank you so much, and welcome to the Steady On community. We're so excited to be here. Absolutely. I love talking about Esther. We are going to talk about Esther and I want to start first maybe with Lynn and then I'll go to Amy. I've been watching your social media posts and you've taken a bold, I think, declaration about who Esther is and who Esther isn't on social media. I've seen posts like Esther is not a Bible Barbie, right? Esther is not a beauty contest winner. And so I'm just wondering, what is it that you're hoping to do like with that kind of you know, social promotion, but what, what about Esther? Are you hoping your readers will know? You know what? I'm actually going to pass that off to Amy because ah. she's been writing those posts. Ah. So share what you think. Amy. Yeah. I want to hear it. Well, I think one of the, the things as we approached Esther is that Lynn and I both said that we have never been drawn personally to the book of Esther, but we got an opportunity to write about her. And so we did. And as we dove in, we realized that the reason that we haven't been drawn to the book of Esther is that we have absorbed our culture's Hollywoodized version of Esther. And the Hollywoodized version of Esther um, has her in tutus and tiaras and has her um, winning a beauty contest, which as we dug in, we're like, wow, this is not a beauty contest. This is much more like human trafficking. Um, and so 
we weren't drawn there because when we Hollywoodize biblical stories about real life people and God in their stories, those stories get watered down. Hollywood's about glamours and happy endings. And that's great on the movie screen. And I love it as a diversion as much as anybody, but it is not a good way to handle our Bible stories. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn, I'm going to ask a follow-up question then about that, because if neither of you like were particularly maybe excited in the beginning about uh, diving into Esther, what has, I'm guessing something has changed along the way for you. And what, what was that for you? That heart change around it, maybe a little bit. Yeah. So um, I actually read Esther as a part of, I was reading through the Bible in a year. Um, And so it was just part of my natural Bible study reading. And um, Amy and I had been um, conversing through Voxer about this process that Amy was experiencing in her, her personal life, which was listen, feel, do, speak. And um, as, as I was reading Esther, I mean, I, I just felt like my heart lit on fire because I saw that this process wasn't just Amy's process, but that Esther actually went through that. And so as I began to look at her life through a different lens, um, through not the, um, the heroized, um, type of person, you know, that I grew up hearing her to be, but more of, of a normal person who experienced a ton of uncertainty. And it it was kind of interesting because I was reading this during the pandemic. And so Amy and I began to write it during the pandemic and talk about uncertainty. And, you know, a lot of us maybe have felt paralyzed by uncertainty, like, okay, I'm just going to wait this out. I'm just going to wait and things will settle down and then I'll take my next steps. But I think one of the things that really grabbed me about Esther was that in the middle of her uncertainty, she didn't wait it out. She went, she fasted, she got her community to gather around her and she determined um, through the voice of others. And I believe through the voice of God, what her next step was. And she took that step in the middle of uncertainty, which is not something we typically tend to do. Yeah. I'm thinking about sometimes what I, I say, I hear other people say, I just have to wait till things calm down before. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what I hear you saying, there's, there's a a challenge or an invitation that actually the craziness or the uncertainty is part of the step of faith. Right. That's yeah. Right. Because so often I think that the confidence that we feel in situations comes from the confidence within us, Yes, but, but that's the opposite of what Jesus wants. Just this week, I was reminded in my personal time with him about how he said he wants us to be like little children. Well, little children don't have confidence in themselves. They have confidence in their parents. They have confidence in those surrounding them. And that's what God is calling us to do is to have confidence in who he is in us. Um, And I believe we see that in the life of Esther. Yeah, I love that. I want to hear more, Amy. Would you talk just a little bit about this? Listen, feel, do speak. Is that something that you would, yeah, share with us that that rises my curiosity? Yeah. So uh, I identify so much as a word girl that I actually, when I needed a new license plate, my license plate says word girl now. So I love words on every level. I love God's word, but I also like to talk a lot and I have a lot to say. And um, 
one of the things that happened was it, that about five years ago, six years ago, God started calling me into these racial equity spaces. And very quickly, my heart connected and I so much wanted to be part of it and to help be a solution in the situation. And so my natural tendency is to have a lot to say about it and to start sharing on social media and speaking about it and talking to my friends about it. And God really just through a series of conversations really with friends um, started to really direct me, Amy, you need to slow your role. Um, you don't know enough to speak yet. So he's, he gave me this process through these conversations so clearly. First, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to me through scripture, like dig into what, what do I have to say about this in scripture? Listen to the people that are being affected by racial inequity. Listen to those stories. And then he called me really to feel, um, to start to stop numbing and connect my emotions in a way that then led me, I say that our emotions are designed to be a catalyst for righteous action when they're used in the right way. And then to do something, I mean, to actually be part, be part of the solution. And the last step is to speak. So that's very counterintuitive for most of us, because especially in our social media culture, we have something to say and we're almost ex like today. So we're, we're recording this ahead. Everybody's talking about the death of the queen. And I was like, oh gosh, I got to talk about the death of the queen. But actually I don't have to talk, even though, you know, I'm sad about it too. I don't have to talk about it. So to speak last is counterintuitive, but we see Lynn saw that pattern in the life of Esther. And that is how she began to make tremendous impact. And we can too. Lynn, will you, I, I love that so much, Amy. Thank you for sharing that process with us. Where, how did you see that in Esther? Would you mind just sharing that a little bit? Where, how did that come to the yeah. forefront, I guess, for you as you were reading? Yeah. So um, actually one of my favorite verses in Esther is not the one that we think everybody, you know, for every, such a time as this, that's yeah, not the and, one. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I love that verse, but I know that's what we know about Esther, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. It fits out great on yeah, t-shirts. It, it does. It is. It does. Um, yes. But um, mine probably maybe not, not might not stand out to other people, but like Amy, um, my go-to in places again of uncertainty is control do something, talk something, do, you know, do and talk right to fix it. Um, but what I saw in Esther um, shows up in chapter two, verse 15. And it says, when the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abihail to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Hege, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. And so what I saw as I was, um, reading my Bible was that the first thing that she did was she listened, she humbled herself and she recognized that she didn't know what she didn't know. And in our culture of fake it till you make it, we don't want to admit that we don't know. I just started listening to um, a new teaching podcast of someone and he on the regular says, I don't know. And I think that's why I'm so attracted to the podcast was, is because he is so comfortable with, with admitting what he doesn't know. 
And that's what Esther did. And, and that's what I'm, I'm more comfortable doing now is I'm admitting, especially as we follow this mysterious God, we don't know a lot of things about him. And that's part of what makes him beautiful to us is that he is, he is not human. And um, so, so back to Esther, I just, I saw her humble herself. And the first thing that she did was she listened to somebody who did know what she needed to know. Um, so that's the, the listen piece, Amy, you want to do the feel piece? Sure. So one of my favorite passages, um, was, uh, this is from Esther four and it's verses one and two. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes. This was in response to, um, an edict that had gone out for all of the Jews to be killed. Um, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. And this was the place where I feel like is the pinnacle of the feel piece of it. But what I think is fascinating is the contrast between the king and Mordecai. So there's Mordecai who is um, fully expressing his grief in ways that we kind of, I think in our culture don't even get, which, but I think it's fascinating. And it was a really, um, it was a really great part of the study for me because I started looking at this tearing your clothes business. And that was very typical in the Jewish culture. So there are lots and lots of examples that I included in the Bible study of people who tore their clothes in grief. And I think, he was fully connected to the grief that he was feeling over the evil that was happening. The king, in contrast, had basically had a sign <laughs> that outside of the castle that was like, don't harsh my mellow. Like if, if you're, if you are mourning or grieving, your mess you is gonna, too much for me, right? Exactly. You might as well just say your mess is too much. Exactly. For me. That yeah. is not fun. Stay away right? And so there's a sharp contrast of how these two people were dealing with the actual, like actual legitimate grief about what was a, an evil that was going on around them. And I mean, I had to look really hard at myself because there are lots of ways I put that sign up, you know, um, I avoid people <laughs> who are in a grieving period because I don't really know what to say and it makes me feel bad. Or I turn on Netflix and for the next 10 hours watch Netflix instead of tuning into what's happening in my world. You know, I mean, we could go on and on. I think we're, especially from the pandemic, we're all a little familiar with the ways we numb in our culture. But I feel like this is such a picture. Mordecai is such a picture of how God wants us to tune into our feelings, not to let them lead and guide us, but to actually connect us with his heart. I love that distinction too, not to be led and guided by our feelings, but right. also not to push them because they're there. I always, I think about some like anxiety. If I'm feeling something like that, I try to relate that in my life to like hunger, like these feelings, if you're hungry, 
you get something to eat, right? If I'm anxious, I need the the thing from the father that will bring the peace. And so it's like, I'm like, can it, can this feeling motivate me to go to him so that he can help me understand what the, the feeling is really important. But like yes. you said, like, but if I just behave based on this feeling, I'll probably miss the mysterious thing that he's trying to reveal to me because I haven't, you know, uh, taken it to the right source to help me understand it. Yeah. So yeah. good. And I, I think the example that you gave, I said, ca- our feelings are to be a catalyst for righteous yeah. action. Yes. When we're hurting, the righteous action is to go to our father. Yes. yes. But I think um, in Esther's that this really is a book. <laughs> I hope your listeners don't want to turn me off at this point, but it is a book about social justice. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And she and um, Mordecai allowed themselves to feel their grief in a way that then pushed them to do something that relieved the suffering of people. And so it's beautiful. Yeah. I, my husband and I call that when it sits in your living room, because sometimes we, mm-hmm. we care about something that's out there. We're aware of it but something changes when it comes and sits in your living room, whatever that means, you know? And so we have this thing sometimes and we say to each other, like something has said in my living room today. And we're like, Oh, like that means we need to talk about something because something in your heart is shifting because it's becoming more personal. And the Lord's inviting you to get involved at a different level. Mm-hmm. My yeah, husband perfect. says something similar yeah. in that things impact us differently when they're in our zip code. Yes, exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it and becomes in your zip code uh, for, for the listener. I want to let you know this whole, the way that we're doing this and talking about listen, feel, do speak is not something I post to these ladies ahead of time. It's just where we're going and they are just rolling with it perfectly. So, <laughs> so thank you ladies. I just want to acknowledge that's not what I sent you ahead of time. So we've um, kind of been steeping in it I, for about three I, years. I, so I, it's no, all good. I, yeah. I don't doubt that at all. You, yeah. It's not, it's nothing that you're not comfortable doing. I just want to acknowledge it's not what we, what I sent you ahead of time, but um, so, but I think Lynn, would that mean you want to talk about the do? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. I love it. Um, so, you know, sometimes we're sitting in church, listening to a sermon and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's what God's word says. But there's something that happens between either for me, it's that time in the morning with the Lord. And then when I'm actually walking through my day or that Sunday morning, when we're saying amen, um, and then life happens. Um, and God has given us his word. Um, to speak to us, but also then to do something with his word. You know, he says that we are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor like ourselves. Well, if you're going to love your neighbor, it involves doing something. And so one of the things that as I have become um, involved with women who um, have been incarcerated or are coming out of incarceration is that caring costs something. You know, there's times when I don't want to get involved. You know, the the situation is messy or like Amy said, it's something um, that makes me sad. Or for me, it's something I don't know anything about. But if we follow this process of listening, of we listen and we feel, then when we get to the do, you know, just like Esther did when she went to Hege, we have gained something through interacting with people who are in those situations. Um, And hopefully we've interacted with the Holy Spirit so that we are following what his do is. Um, and so, you know, do is, is the next pro- part of the process of after we have spent time learning about this, this whatever this is God is calling us to, um, we call it our unique usefulness. Okay, so we've kind of identified what that is. Now, what does it look like 
to impact our world? What does it look like to love our neighbor using the unique usefulness that God has given us? For Esther, her unique usefulness was to use her position to do something. And so she gave a banquet. She gave a banquet. You know, what she had was a palace. She used her palace. What she had was um, resources. So she, you know, she threw a party Um, for you and I, we might throw a party, you know, Jesus might call us to do something similar. He might call us to do something like Esther that is completely uncomfortable and um, very unfamiliar. And I've come to recognize in my life that if I, I used to think that if I felt a little bit uncomfortable, even scared that it couldn't possibly be God. I mean, why would God call me to something? I feel scared. And now I've come to recognize that when I begin to feel that, that absolutely, that is the time to ask father, is this you calling me to do something that's outside of my, my, um, um, knowledge or, or even my strength. Right. Yeah. I love what you said too, with the do use what you have and, Mm -hmm. and illustrated what Esther had, because I think a lot of times we get, I'll speak for myself. I get caught up in the, well, I can't, I don't have that, what she does how she's doing it with this. And the Lord's not asking us to have that, whatever she has. Uh, he's simply inviting us to use what we have, where we are to meet the need that he's already brought to our attention. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. Um, Amy finishes, finish this up with the speak part then. Well, it's so lucky you, you get to talk about speaking. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Love that part. Finally. Right. (laughs) But I love this, that Esther waited for such a long time. And she, not only did she give one banquet, but she gave two before she spoke up. You just are like, you had your chance right there. What are we doing? Why? (laughs) Exactly. I still wonder that. And we studied Esther for a really long time. Why did she wait? We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. Um, but it, in the end, she does use her voice to speak up for the life of her people. And, you know, I think um, I, I'll say that I want to be a godly woman who speaks up in godly ways. So, so many times I've been one or the other and not both. So I'm either a godly woman who speaks up in ungodly ways or I mean, I'm a godly woman because I'm sealed in Christ, but sometimes I've been completely silent when I should be speaking. And so there's, there's righteous silence and there's sinful silence and I've done both. Um, And so, but Esther did speak up in godly ways and we think, well, how does she do that? Well, I think it was that she went through the process and that the speaking was last. I also believe Lynn and I, even though, you know, there's so many places where we wish we had more information, but Lynn and I have been listening to a podcaster who talks about um, how rabbis teach and how rabbis teach is to get us to ask questions. And so very often where there are these gaps in these places, we wish we had more details. That's where the question should go, that we should be asking God, what, what is this about? But when Esther, um, had to make a decision, whether she was going to even act or not, she fasted, She, and she got her community to fast with her. And usually in scripture, we see prayer and fasting coupled together. So it doesn't mention prayer, but we believe that that was part of it. So by the time she spoke up, she had had lots of uh, time, not only just she herself, but with her community and who knows what kinds of conversations were happening during that time 
to then when she finally spoke up, there was such wisdom, not only in her timing, but in her words. If you study that speech she made to her husband, it was so honoring. It was, um, I wouldn't say it was flattery, but she really, truly honored him. She helped him. She had thought of a way when she spoke up to help him save face also, which was really important to a man in his his position. And so um, really the whole last section in, in the study is how can we be godly people who speak up in godly ways? And it's tricky. Um, it's, it's a discipline, I would say for, especially for me who has had a, um, a, there's also always a flow of words at the tip of my tongue. And I'm learning to, to halt that flow so that when I do speak up, it really is in the right way in wisdom and in a way that matters and, and creates solutions to the problems that we're hoping to help solve. Yeah, I love that. And I think especially Lynn was talking about that sort of like uncomfortable place when we're called to to step out and you're talking about like Esther's choice of words with her husband and what I'm hearing in those things is especially when we're stepping out to something that we know is sensitive or we know is going to be maybe difficult for the other person to receive or we're not sure we know enough, as Lynn said also, um, how do we ask for wisdom around, even if we're right, even if we know we're called and we're confident in our like sort of rightness or whatever about it, how do I present this? How do I say this in a way that the other person can receive? So the defenses are not up immediately at how we're coming at them, uh, but that we're sort of, I guess, emotionally intelligent or something around this, like, or, you know, um, Holy spirit led or, but we, but we're thoughtful in that. I, I don't know the best way to present this, but I know I want to present it in a way that you're, you keep listening, you know, that you keep listening and don't just shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really, really good. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, one of the things that just came to me was, was how did Jesus do that? And the Mm. first example that came that I thought of was the woman at the well. I mean, what an uncomfortable situation to talk to a woman about what her past looked like. And I think that Jesus led with compassion you know, he, he put somebody in a position where they knew he cared about them. What's that saying? You know, people don't care what, you know, until they know you care or some Mm -hmm. cliche. Um, but it's true is that when we go into situations, first of all, letting, letting the person know, I see you, I, I see you. And you know what, when we, when we express that to someone, when we have compassion on someone, that doesn't always mean that we are agreeing with them. You don't have to agree with someone in order to have compassion for them. And in order to say, you know, I care about you. Right. Yeah. I think there are times in Amy said, and sometimes we don't speak. I think I know there've been times that I've done this where I've talked someone out of a Holy spirit conviction because Mm -hmm. I was uncomfortable with their uncomfortableness, right. Where they were actually Mm -hmm. expressing, and it might've been clear to me. I think the Holy spirit is actually leading you in a different direction, or I think he's trying to um, maybe change your heart around that issue or something, but I didn't want them to be upset with me, uh, you know? And so I was like, uh, you know, I did more of a, Oh, you're, I think you're fine. Or I think it's fine. You know? And I, and I, and I regret doing that. I, I think, uh, how can we, how can we stay with what we know and say when we're called to say, but in a way, I love that you said that, that they know we care about them. How do we communicate? Even if you don't love these words, you are not going to doubt that they are said from a place of caring and love and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really great. That's really, thank you for taking us through that. 
That was fantastic. Yeah, I love that. So it's a listen, feel, do, and speak. I know um, I want to talk to each of you just for a second about your ministry passion and ask how Esther and studying Esther and this study maybe fits with what you're, because I see that it does, but I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So for Amy, um, your ministry passion is... Um, it's right here, equipping women to speak for what matters, equipping women to speak for what matters. So talk to me, you were just talking about speaking. So uh, connect Esther with your entire ministry passion for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was again, through a series of conversations, God took me on a hard left turn in ministry because I'd been speaking about overcoming perfectionism for years. Um, And then, you know, again, because of this conversation about around racial equity that I entered into, it was just really clear that God wanted me to do something different. But But what I started realizing is it wasn't I wanted to pull everybody into um, that arena, but rather I wanted to equip people to speak up in the arena God was calling them to. And, And so he gave me this process. And the way I say it on my website is that I'm cultivating tender hearts and strong voices. And it really starts with me. And I have to tell you. I was terrified and I still am terrified on a regular basis because when I was talking about overcoming perfectionism, I was kind of 10 steps ahead. Like God had already done a lot of the work on this. I'm like a half a step ahead. I've got my foot still up in the air. And so there's the margin for error is so huge. And I've just made so many mistakes along the way, but, but God is changing me. And I'm trying to share that with people in real time and being really transparent about that. I just did a blog post about how I'm wrestling with anger. Cause when you start feeling feelings, it's like taking the lid off of Pandora's box and they're out, but then you got to figure out, you got to learn how to manage them in godly ways. And that's where I'm at. So, um, so Esther, just the whole study of it ministered to me so much. Isn't that how it happens when we're writing usually is that God brings us into the space and he really wants to teach us something before we give it to the world. I think there's something beautiful too, about the fact that you spoke of perfectionism for so long, and now you're in a place where you are willing to lead in ministry or have a ministry focus in which, you know, uh, not that we have ever been able to achieve perfection, but you're, you're saying, you know, humbly here before, like, I don't have this all figured out. Oh, it is so messy. And what a testimony (laughs) to the work that the Lord has done in your heart, you know, uh, that he can call you to this place and you'll, um, yeah. And you'll surrender to that. I love that. And I also love for someone who I think has said you won't write anymore. And at first you don't want to write books anymore. And you didn't like Esther at first. I'm so happy. (laughs) <laughs> that you're continuing to do what he's calling you to do. So, uh, yeah. I have found that co-authoring is the cure <laughs> to the- being a reluctant writer. I, <laughs> I love, love co-authoring. I, I love it. Good job, Lynn. I don't know Lynn. if you drug her into yes. it. No, no, no. But Lynn, your <laughs> passion for ministry is helping women understand the importance of Christ confidence. So I'm wondering how does Esther uh, fit into that for you? Um, so for me, um, my wiring is that, um, I am, I'm a, I'm a, a performer type person. Um, achievement is kind of, um, important to me. And so, um, a few years ago, I really began to see what a detriment that was to my relationship with Christ 
when I was um, doing things out of my own strength. Um, I think of Galatians, I think it's Galatians 3, 3, where Paul is saying, you know, you foolish Galatians, why would you start something in the, in the spirit and then finish in the flesh? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm the poster child for that. Um, and so a few years ago, I started um, studying women in the Bible who, um, who did scary and brave things um, and they did it with the power of God. Um, and so, you know, despite their fears and their failures, they found an unshakable confidence. And that's what I wanted because that's not what I saw in my life. I saw that my um, confidence was on a continuum based on what I deemed was successful. You know, what was my Amazon rating today? Or what kind of review did I get from that last speaking event? And, um, and I just knew that was not at all what God was calling me to. He was calling me to do what he asked me to do, period. Um, and so after, um, after writing that Bible study, um, I, I, you know, like I said, began to, um, look at Esther in this way and just see that there were so many reasons that Esther had to not be confident. I mean, she was, uh, we can assume, you know, she was a young Jewish girl. What does she know about palace life in Persia? Probably very, very little, um, and, you know, not only that, but her particular race was the one that was going to, you know, experience genocide. She just had all of these reasons to not be confident. And yet she did exactly what God called her to do. And I believe that is because she, her confidence came from God. Um, she, you know, she did what she did because of, of what he was calling her to do. And he was with her no matter how it turned out. You know, we know that she says, if I perish, I perish. That's not someone who really is worrying about, um, you know, their performance being extremely successful. Yeah. I love that you said that too, just about the, all the reasons that she had to doubt that her confidence or that she might not have had confidence that encourages me so much today, Lynn, because I think the if I, well, I know the first thing I do sometimes when I feel that Holy spirit nudging is I think of the reasons, right. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think of Esther's like almost immediately when Mordecai called her to this, she says, yeah, I haven't even seen him in 30. I think it's 30 days, right? Like I haven't mm -hmm. even seen him. Um, yeah. and uh, he hasn't called for me in a long time. And so I'm not in a good place to, you know, I'm not the right one. All these reasons. And there, there's always, I think when there, when God calls us to that the, the, to that stepping out place, there's always plenty of reasons to say no, right? There's always Absolutely. plenty of reasons to say, and there's really only one reason to say yes. And that is, I hear you and I want to do what you're calling me to do. And I, I trust mm. you, you know, that's really, because we can, we can talk all day about the reasons it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, one uh, of, one of the things that um, we wrote in Esther is that obedience is our peace and outcome is God's. Mm. I say it again. Yeah. Obedience is yeah. our peace. Outcome is God's. I love that. I love that. You guys have talked about a lot of different scriptures as we've gone through there, but I'm going to, as we've gone through this and thank you for that, I've been jotting them down. I'm going to do to Amy first. Is there a favorite of the ones that you've mentioned? Is there another favorite of maybe something that you haven't mentioned? Um, something that whether it's from Esther or not, that was important to you as you wrote this study, anything come to mind for you? I mean, it really is that Esther passage that I shared Esther four, one and two, because I'm grappling with my own feelings and how to deal with the, them appropriately in a way that's godly and healthy. And those are not mutually exclusive. They are 
directly tied to each other. Yeah. I have a hard time sitting in my feelings that are Mm -hmm. like, not, you know, I just, I'm like, I just need to overcome this. I just need to push, you know, I just need to figure out how to not feel this way. And I feel more in this season of my life that the Lord is like, no, no, actually I, if you just sit with me in them, then we'll work them out together. Like they are important. And, um, and I hear that challenge again, in what you're saying, how about you, Lynn, Uh, a, a favorite that comes to mind that was important to you as you wrote this? Um, again, I would say Esther 215, you know, the one, um, I had shared earlier Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's, it's, um, because of that tendency I have of, of when I, I see something that makes me uncomfortable, I feel like, oh, we don't know how this is going to turn out. My go-to is not to listen and it's not to humble myself and admit that I don't know what to do. Um, it is to you know, figure it out and do something. Um, and so I just keep looking, you know, to her model to you know that the first step um, in uncertainty is not to do something. Yeah. The yeah. first step is to be quiet and to listen. I, yes, thank you for that. I think Esther can be very daunting from a teaching perspective because. Mm-hmm. There are so many lessons in it and I think it's a little, it can be. And so thank you uh, for the work that you ladies have done on this to help us just experience it differently. You know, I appreciate so much what you're saying today is the thing that I'm learning about Esther that I've not ever thought about in this way before is how it's such an important resource when we have a complicated like sort of situation that we're involved in and we don't kn- we don't know what the next step is we don't know what to do and it is going to cost us something we don't even know what that looks like you know just like all those things that i call it soul chaos sometimes when you're just sort of mm-hmm. overwhelmed with like the situation you're in and this is a great resource and watching her um decisions throughout is so helpful so thank you definitely for that this has been fantastic and again i just want to thank you for pivoting with me a little bit as we went <laughs> through this um but before i let you you go. I always ask my guests this question. I love to share resources. I'll start with Amy. Is there anything right now that you are studying, listening to, watching, reading that is just bringing you joy, peace, keeping you connected to God? Yes. I'm a resource junkie. So I love Love this question, but I have a book that I'm reading through that I'm obsessed with right now. And it's called gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's by Dan Ortland. And you know, as a re- I, I still am a reforming perfectionist. I've come a long way, but it's my default. And um, as a reforming perfectionist to read about the gentleness and humbleness and deep love and compassion of Christ is ministering to me in the deep, deep places is the, a lot of healing is happening while I'm reading this book. I'm very grateful for it. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You are, do I remember correctly? You are an Enneagram one. I am likewise. Yeah. (laughs) Very driven. (laughs) Lynn, are you a three or do you do the Enneagram? You're a three. Yeah. With your perform when you were talking about your performer. Yeah. Well, (laughs) because you said it basically. Yeah. If you know, Uh, we talk about the Enneagram a lot around here because I, if it's, it's, it fascinates me and I've learned that Lord has taught me so much about myself, uh, by studying it. And so, yeah, I just wondered if that was something, um, how about you, Lynn, what's in your earbuds on your nightstand? Um, well, Amy kind of alluded to it. Um, one of the things that studying Esther this deep, 
um, really kind of brought to the forefront in my mind was how much we don't know when we read the Bible, because we read it through Western, Western American eyes. Yes. eyes. yes. Um, and so this whole concept of that, the Bible was written by Easterners with an Eastern mindset and, um, and how differently, you know, the, the rabbinical teaching, um, is, is just fascinating to me. Um, and so, um, at night, my husband and I have been watching, um, a series of videos by Ray Vanderlyn. Um, I love we, him. He's amazing. I love him. And we're almost yes. done. And we're like, Ray, you have to go sure. to Israel and teach us some more. Um, and so to supplement those, cause we're almost done. Um, yeah. we've also started listening to, um, Bema discipleship, which is a podcast that's also done, um, from a more rabbinical, uh -huh. um, outlook and, um, I just, I just want to understand things through a different lens. Yeah. Um, then I'm not saying that my lens that I grew up with, you know, my Protestant, um, I have a crazy background actually, but anyways, it's not that that lens is bad. It's that I, I just want the full scope of it's what just I not the learn. only one, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. not the only one. I have learned so much from Ray Vonderlein's uh, studies. I'm so mm -hmm. glad that you lifted that you picked, uh, lifted that up today. Cause that just reminds me of some of the stuff that I have learned from him. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I will, Amy can be found at amycarroll.org and Lynn can be found at lynncowell.com. And their study is Esther seeing our invisible God in an uncertain world. It is available wherever books are sold. All of that and other places you can find and follow them will be in today's show notes. I did your uh, website wrong. No, no. Oh. Can we add one more thing? Yes. No, I want to. I was going to ask you anywhere else you want to oh, point the listeners. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead, Amy. Go we're ahead. We're so yeah. excited because we're going to be doing an online study with whoever wants to join us in the new year. And so if you want to put in your email to get notifications about that, you can go to estherbookstudy.com estherbookstudy.com. I'm writing mm -hmm. that down and I will include that so that anybody can click on that as well. Lynn, anywhere else you'd like to point listeners to find your resources. No, that's good. Nope. Website is their central place. Ladies, thank you so much for this. I just really appreciate you. Thank you for your dedication to write the study. Uh, thank you for your friendship and your collaboration. It's a, an example to all of us how working together is um, can be so beneficial. And thank you for serving us today. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. And thank you, friend, for listening. Until next time. Peace. Again, a big thanks to Lynn and Amy for their time and willingness to share their work and their hearts with us. I encourage you to look into their online study because I think you will love sitting under their teaching. I know that I have. Galatians 3.3 again, this time from the NCB. You began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now are you trying to make it complete by your own power? That is foolish. Next week, my guest is Manda Carpenter. She joined me to talk about the importance of being honest and repentant and how that's connected to the state of our soul. Manda will share with you that having an affair woke her up to an emotional brokenness and how she was looking for the attention of men to speak to that brokenness and how she and her husband did and continue to work through their struggles with honesty, openness, and accountability. If you haven't yet, I'd be so grateful if you would follow the podcast on whatever directory you're using to listen. It only takes a second and it guarantees you'll see new episodes as soon as they drop. Thank you so much for listening. I pray wherever your day takes you, you're walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.